Thanks for joining us for Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are a fellowship committed to knowing community as God's family and sharing the food from our table with others. Every member of Christ's family should be well-nourished from God's Word, and in that Word we find all we need to live good and God-honoring lives. To contact us, please call us at 208-331-4096. And now here for a brief introduction is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. We are in a consideration of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and we're attempting to understand what is to be our motivation in living the Christian life. What is our aim? What is to be our goal? In the passage, the Christian life is considered as a race to be run, and our message begins with a consideration of what we're racing against. We're racing against the clock. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are told in this passage that we're to be running a race, and this race is a race to reach men while it is still day. It's a race against the clock, and it's not just a race against your clock, but it's a race against the clock of others. If you're a person who has placed faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, if you're an individual who has seen your sin and recognized that there's nothing in your own power and your own strength and your own goodness to overcome the guilt and the deserving punishment of that sin, but you've recognized that Christ has come and overcome it at the cross by dying in your place and that He's risen from the grave and that He wants to come into your life and be the Lord of your life and you have consented to that in faith, in saving faith, well then... The temporary day that you live in right now is the full extent of the night you will ever experience. And your night is coming to an end, and your unending eternal day is about to dawn upon you. If you're a person who hasn't done that, if you're just outside and you're still considering it or contemplating it, you might know all the right truths and all the right information, but you have not consented in faith to yield your life before Jesus Christ. At this moment in time, you are in the middle of your short, temporary day. You're in the middle of your short, temporary day, and night is falling, and you are facing an unending and eternal night, forever without the Lord, and that's the reality. We, this is our night, but in this time period, because it's your day, we're running in the light of your day to reach as many. We're running in the light of the day of lost men and lost women to reach as many for the gospel of Jesus Christ before their night comes upon them. That's the race we're running. That's the race that we're engaged in. We're also in a race to honor Christ, to live for Him, to be like Him, to let Him live out from our lives His holy graces, to live out from our lives the love that He has for us and the love that He has for others. And this is a race as well to run away from and outpace the deceptions of Satan who would seek to destroy us, 
to outpace the resistance of the world that is an age that is against the rule of Christ in their life to outrun the weakness and the sin proneness of our own flesh. We're in a race. It's a race against the clock. It's a race to glorify God. We're trying to outrun Satan and the world in our own flesh in the pursuit of reaching as many people as possible. And it's a long race. It's not a short race. It's a marathon. And it's tiring. And it's hard. And we need the right motivation for the race. We need something that will motivate us, that will help us to endure. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at various forms of motivation that we might have to run this race, to reach as many for Christ, to glorify Christ, and to outpace and outrun our own weaknesses and our own temptations and our own disappointment. We've said that we need to have a motivation that will hold up in the heat of the day and in the length of the run and that there are some things that can be used to motivate us and God actually can work through these motivations but they're not the best and they won't hold up through the endurance of that race and they won't hold up in the heat of the day and there are things like this. There are people who go into ministry or try to serve God and really what it is is they're hoping that as the result of what they do for God they'll be able to build up their own faith. They'll be able to see the positive results of the things that they do, and it will help them believe more. And, well, the problem with that is it's not an expression of faith. That motivation is really an expression of your unbelief. If I can see, if we can get more people in our church, then we know we're really in the right position. If more people will raise their hand, if more people will walk an altar, if they'll claim faith in Jesus Christ, if the polls will show that there's a growing number. Oh, it's really distressful today because the polls are showing that more and more people are leaving the church. Maybe we're on the losing side. We're not. We're not. That kind of attitude, that kind of motivation is an expression of unbelief and not of belief. The Lord Jesus actually indicated to us that in the last days, there are going to be few. The Lord Jesus said when the Son of Man returns, He said, will I find faith on the earth? He told us that there will be a day of diminishing responses to the gospel. That's not the evidence that we need, and that's not why we do it. And if we do, that motivation won't hold up, and it literally won't hold up against what God has said is going to happen through the course of history, human history. There are other people that get involved in the ministry because they're looking for a place to feel significant, and they want to feel significant and importance, and they see somebody doing things that they think are significant themselves, and they think, I want to be a part of that because that's the significant thing to do. And then they start thinking, I want to be as significant as that person. And then they start thinking, I want to be more significant than that person. I want more honor than that person. And they begin to do it out of selfish ambition. Paul in Philippians says, I praise God that Jesus Christ is being proclaimed by people, even if it's out of selfish ambition, because Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. But I'm telling you, there's no good for the person who's doing it for the wrong reason. It's not a motivation that will hold up, and it's not a motivation that ultimately will present or bring to them any great reward in their own life because of that service. You could be motivated by just being obedient to Christ because you want to be a dutiful servant to Him, and that's good, but... Duty over a long period of time can turn into drudgery if you don't have a supplementary motivation greater than that. You can be motivated, we said, by compassion, which is good. Jesus had compassion on the crowds. He saw them as a sheep without a shepherd. You can be motivated by compassion, but the problem with that is eventually that compassion can kind of turn to where you're basically doing everything and you're serving people for their benefit and for their aid and their help. And then you start thinking it's just not fair that these people don't have the opportunities that I had and don't have the truth that I have. And so actually you don't know it, but you're actually doing it for man 
and you're not doing it for the glory of God. You actually start doing it because you think, you know, I think in a sense, it's not fair that God gave them that kind of life instead of the life I had. So I'm going to improve upon what God did for them. Well, that's not a motivation that holds up. That's not the way you should approach it. So what we came to last week was the compelling motivation of the call of God upon our lives. So strong that it grabs hold of us that we can't let go of it. It's like a tiger's tail that we have a hold of. And you know, you just don't let go of a tiger's tail. It's something that you can't domesticate because it's so wild and it's so great and it's so overwhelming that you just grab hold of it and you follow where he leads you. The call of God. And we spoke about the call of God that comes from above us, from heaven, where as we're worshiping God and as we realize this God who's exalted before the holy angels who cry out, holy, holy, holy. We read about in Isaiah chapter 6. And as we worship God and we catch vision of him and we come before him and realize that this almighty, all-powerful, utterly holy God extends to us forgiveness and cleansing, we hear him say to us, who will I send and who will go for me? We say, Lord, here I am, send me. There's a call. We said it's the call that comes from all around us. It's the call of earth. It's the call of man. It's, we took it from Acts chapter 16 where Paul is seeking to bring the gospel into Asia and he's resisted over and over again. And so finally, he, in the fatigue of his efforts at working to bring the gospel to more and more people, he comes to a stopping point and he's sleeping. And in the midst of his sleep, he has a vision of a man from Macedonia, which is Europe. And the man is standing over him and the man has his arms outstretched. And the man is saying, come over and help us. We said, listen, the more you give yourself to obey Jesus Christ and to pray for people and live before them Christ's love and to extend yourself into their lives and to speak to them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more that you do it, what will happen to you is you will see in the depth of their need and even though they might be silent and even though they might even be resistant, you'll hear from the heart of humanity the cry for God, come over and help us. It's the cry of man and it's all around you. It's in your neighborhood. You walk through your neighborhood. Here's, a, here's an assignment for you. You walk through your neighborhood and you pray as you go. And you do that over and over again. And you encounter people and you speak to them and you get to know about their life and you pray for them. And as you do that, you'll, the preponderance of your work and your labor and your effort will create within you a tender heart where you hear their cries, the cry of man saying, come over and help us with their hands outstretched. We said the third cry was the cry from beneath us. It's the cry of hell. And we read it in Luke chapter 16. We read of a man, the rich man who went to hell and a poor man who lived outside his great named Lazarus who went to heaven or Abraham's bosom in the story that the Lord Jesus told. In hell, that rich man looked up and saw the comforts and the benefits that Lazarus was experiencing. And he saw Father Abraham and he cried out and said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus over. Have him dip his finger in water and touch the tip of my tongue because I am in torment in these flames. In other words, I thirst, I thirst. No, it's not possible. Lazarus enjoying an everlasting, secure peace and blessing and benefit. And you are experiencing an everlasting and secured punishment and torment. And you can't come to him and he can't go to you. The response of the man, the tormented man in hell was, send him then to my brothers because I have five brothers lest they come to this place of torment. It's a call of hell. As we intercede for people and as we pray for them and as we engage their sin even though they're not engaging it themselves and as we consider the consequence of their sins which is ultimately an unending separation from the God who loves them and gave himself for them as we consider these things and as 
they weigh upon our hearts, it may be that God will allow us to sense and hear the cries of the damned saying, somebody go and warn them lest they come to this place of torment. What we said as we came to the end of that lesson last week is if you can't hear this call, you can see it at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there on that cross is hanging the holy God who rules and reigns over all the universe of whom the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy. This is the God who is exalted above all the nations and is to be worshipped by all. And there on the cross, he cries out and he says, who will go for me and who will I send? And if you look again, what we said is you see a man hanging on the cross, a man who was born of a woman, born under the law, knew temptation just like we knew temptation, suffered hunger and thirst and depravity and deprivations, who now is beaten and battered and bleeding and is fighting for breath and his hands are outstretched. In the form of a plea, he cries out and says, come over and help us. As he suffers the misery and sorrow of humanity. And then we said, if you looked again, what you would see is a damned one. And on the cross, he cries out, I thirst. I thirst. Somebody go and warn them lest they come to this place of torment. Because there our Lord was carrying in our place the hell we deserve. That's the call. That's the call from heaven. That's the call from earth. That's the call from hell. That's the call above us, around us, and beneath us. It should compel us. Thank you for joining us today at the Bread of Life, the radio ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. It's our delight to share with you a morsel from our weekly time in God's Word. If you'd like a copy of this message, call us at 208 331 4096 or go to breadoflifeboise.org to learn more. Until the next time, God bless you.